Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Reaching the Summit podcast. The great news is we're a couple weeks into basketball, and we've had some fun excitement excitement on the court so far and we'll just start out by introducing ourselves and then we'll kind of jump into a few news and notes and, and go from there so my name is todd buckingham i'm one of your hosts you can find me on twitter at reach summit pod and i'm zach dosh you can find me on twitter at zachary dosh i'm greg steeman and i can be found on twitter at greg steeman so gentlemen i wanted to start out with just a couple of news and notes uh, the first one, I think, kind of a bigger deal. We had one of our first major injuries. Um, Arlen Ruffin, who was the Summit League Player of the Week for the first week, uh, injured his ankle very early in the Drake game, driving to the basket. Um, not sure they didn't show on the broadcast if he stepped on a player or what exactly happened. That's sort of what, what it looked like, though. Uh, missed the SIU Edwardsville game and just kind of feels like he'll miss a few more. Um, and then we also have Deshaun Allen Eikens, who missed the Dixie State and Minnesota games for uh, North Dakota. Any Anything on those two players or anything you want to talk well, about almost, that? Yeah, I mean, it's almost like we forget that injuries can happen. I mean, we're so focused on COVID that we, we forget that other injuries can happen. And I and I don't know, you know, I guess the, the, this is a question for somebody smarter than me, but does the fact that, you know, they've had limited practices and probably – to a degree, limited strength and conditioning and limited exhibition games, things like that. Does that make them more injury prone um, in these two instances? I don't necessarily think that's the case, but it, there may be something to that. We've seen a little bit of that in football, but um, yeah, a couple ankles, not great. Probably nothing too severe, um, but in, in a year where, you know, obviously there's more variables than any other year. Um, it, these are two very important players. Um, two very important players, two cornerstone players for these two programs that are replacing a lot of, off of last year. And both these players are stepping into identical expanded roles. So um, not good to see right now, but um, I think they happened early enough that they they both should probably be back by the time uh, conference play rolls around. I know Deshaun Allen Eikens is, is probably 50-50 at best for this uh, Dakota Showcase this weekend, but um not good to see, but it's part of basketball. Every basketball player knows what it's like to sprain an ankle. So, Yeah, I agree with that. I, I think it's one of those things. And, and, and this year is, is a unique year, but at the same time, when it comes to the Summit League, your goal, you know, uh, outside of trying to make sure you can get yourself a, a coaching extension, uh, contract extension as a coach, your, your priority is to have your team as healthy as possible once that conference season hits. And I think it's, uh, you know, for, for Ruffin, who's a high-energy player, and, and Eikens, who certainly relies on his athleticism, is, you know, from the standpoint of his contribution to North Dakota's success, I'm sure both Coach Hansen and Coach Sather aren't going to rush those guys back. They want to make sure they can be as healthy as possible uh, for when that conference season rolls around right after the first of the year. So I'm sure that's their focus. If they believe they're 100% prior to that, and and uh, they're ready to go, and then I'm sure they'll put them back in the lineup. But uh, my guess is they'll both uh, approach things from a cautious perspective and say our number one goal is, listen, whatever it takes to be the best we can be right after the first of the year, that's what matters. So another thing that, that happened this week, we didn't talk much about Western Illinois or Denver last week. They both started D1 play this week. Denver had played a game the week before but not against a D1 opponent. Both played today. 
Um, Denver lost by 20 to UC, UC Riverside, who's a pretty good Big West team. And Western Illinois lost to, I, I would think it was Central Michigan. I'm not remembering which Michigan it was now, um, by six and led it halftime by seven and ended up losing the lead at about the 10-minute mark and and fell um, from there. Uh, I didn't really get a chance to watch either game, so I just wanted to mention that both had had uh, um, had started conference play, or had started Division One play. And then, go ahead. Yeah, I, um, you know, just to kind of build on your points there, I I think with Western Illinois, I mean, we found out I think first and foremost, Iowa is probably a Final Four team. I mean, they're about as good as as anybody. I mean, complete guards on the post, amazing. Um, but uh, you're right, Todd. They played Central Michigan today, and uh, they played much better. They played much better, and I think that's kind of a common theme that we'll see here is. You know, a lot of these teams didn't get off to a great start, but they're trending in the right direction. I think that's the most important thing that these coaches want to see right now. Yeah, Tamel Pearson, again, I didn't get to see it, but 22 points, nine rebounds. Some of these Division One transfers that they got, I think, are good parts. It's all just whether the sum of the parts can get together. Mm-hmm. It comes to yeah. the uh, I'm in agreement with you. I think Western Illinois, I think, made some progress from their early game against uh, Iowa and and, uh, and, you know, it, like I say, I think it's, it's toughest, especially for, for uh, someone like Coach Jeter, who doesn't have a system in place, who even though he might have upperclassmen, which he has a, their, their whole roster is turned over, there's really no teaching without the coaches around. And so I think that there's going to be a ton of improvement for Coach Jeter and his squad uh, as they can get a few more games under their belt and uh, get a great feel for, for his system. And I think with uh, Coach Billups in Denver, I, I'm sure it's uh, similar. You know, when you look at the just just the box score of, of the game that they had to play, uh, it seems like they were, uh, you know, their opponent was in control the majority of the game. So I think it's just a matter of getting some game experience for both of those teams and gaining some confidence along the way. And, uh, so it's positive that they both got, were able to get some games under their belt. And we'll, we'll, you know, we'll all hope, as everybody else is, that they can continue to keep their players healthy and, and keep them available and be able to find a way to get a few more games under their belt before the conference season gets underway. Well, and one other note I wanted to mention, it we were close to getting our first non-conference Summit League game between two Summit League opponents. Uh, South Dakota and Kansas City were set to play this weekend and ended up canceling the game um, due to some po- possible COVID symptoms with the player, something that I think will just plane have to deal with on a regular basis this year. Uh, We've actually been pretty lucky if you look at other conferences and other teams, really only Denver with a a shutdown so far um, due to COVID and uh, but it'll be something that will come up again. It's, it's not the end of it. I think like Greg said earlier, you know, I mean, even when these things happen, it's not like one team is necessarily failing and another one succeeding, right? These are things that are going to happen being a part of society in a pandemic. And there's, I hope there's not a whole lot of finger pointing. Um, and people are just going to have to roll with the punches, reschedule things, play as many as they can, scramble, do whatever they have to do, um, and, and, and not focus on who's, who's to blame, but just focus on what we can do next. Just next play, next game, what do we do next, what's the next adjustment, things like that. Yeah, I agree with both of you. I think USD's situation, um, I have not heard anything on that. You know, And the thing about USD to keep in mind, there was just a player or I believe someone affiliated with the team that was sick. They're awaiting that test. Uh, nobody knows if it was COVID at this point, but that could also 
potentially impact the Dakota Showcase that's coming up or that is scheduled to come up on the 10th through the 12th of December down at the Pentagon in Sioux Falls. So we'll see how that all plays out. And uh, if USD were not able to participate, I think it comes down to can they find a fourth team to jump in there or do they just make it a three-team event over the course of three days where each team comes out of there with two games. So we'll see how it all shakes out. And and as 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 we've had to deal with everything else, it's it's a day-by-day Game by game, event by event situation. Uh, everybody has to be willing to accept whatever is able to play out. Well, and Zach, to your point on finger pointing and and COVID and all of that, we we also forget, just like you said, Greg, this isn't even a positive test or a contact tracing or something like that. It's a person feeling ill, which happens in the northern climates of this country. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and everybody other than maybe Oral Roberts are in that in that area that it's just flu season and things are going to happen. So it, it'll be tricky. It's crazy. You know, a lot of times most of these symptoms we wouldn't think twice about. And we probably should have been thinking twice about it. But like, you know, in years past, you know, you wouldn't even think twice if you had a little tickle in your throat or a little you, you sneeze or something like that. This year you do. And it's just like, oh, man, you start to think through all the different scenarios and all this and that. It's just. It's uh, just, just part of part of dealing with all this, I guess. Well, heck, we used to get slapped on the back for going to work feeling sick. And yeah, now, it used to be a, a, a badge of courage, and now it's uh, like the worst thing you could do. Right. Now you're judged on Facebook. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> whole, whole, different, whole different thing. Um, so one of the big themes through the Summit League this week, and I think, Zach, it was you that brought up that team showed a little growth. And I think the biggest way we saw that is – Several uh, Summit League teams played high major teams in, in the last week and single-digit losses. We, the only victory was South Dakota State over Iowa State, but several teams played in, in single-digit loss games. So I wanted to talk about a few of those games, and I have a question on each game for, for each of you, and then it, we can just kind of go into a little bit of the game and, and the, the Summit League team for each one. I'm going to start off with Kansas City, who lost 62 to 58 to Kansas State. And my question on that is do you guys think they have enough scoring to be a top half summit finishing team? I think in in a normal year, like if this was last year, I would say no, nah, you're going to have to get into the 70s, maybe 80s. Um but it's just again, I I said I think I said this last week, I don't like speaking in generalities, but it kind of fits this year because I don't know that there's going to be a whole lot of high-scoring teams in this conference. I mean, even South Dakota State, when they win, they're in, like, the lower 70s. Uh, I think UND wants to play slower. I think NDSU wants to play slower. So if you see Kansas City in the upper 50s, low 60s, it would it's not as concerning as it would be in, the, in a typical year to me anyway. Yeah, I'll agree with that. And I think the other thing that you're going to see is because of the lack of, of organized – workouts and, and implementation of systems that were uh, that the teams were allowed to take part in this year. I think you're going to see um, some growth in offensive efficiency throughout the preseason here, and I think probably into the conference season as well. So I don't think shooting percentages are great. Kansas City, you know, did shoot 45% against Kansas State. Uh, but I, I just think we're going to see teams that get more and more comfortable offensively as they learn to play together, as they get more and more comfortable with coaches, uh, that with some expanded roles that we'll see some from some players, uh, it's just a it's just a product of the situation that most of the teams have been put in, 
with, uh, you know, just not having the instruction and the implementation of offensive systems uh, as readily available as they have had in past years. So it doesn't concern me that much. I'm, I'm just ecstatic that we're being able to watch games. I, mm-hmm. I, I was fortunate to be able to get to broadcast a women's game yesterday. It was just so cool to be back on the sidelines in a completely empty gym. Uh, so I, I do think we're going to see these teams continue to progress, and I think the quality of basketball is going to continue to improve. And I haven't seen anybody complaining about poor quality basketball. I just think it's a it's a product of the situation and the environment that we're all that we've all experienced, you know, for the past eight months. So um, it, it's going to be okay. We're going to be all right, and I, I think that you know it's you know the high scoring teams are always enjoyable to watch, but I still get back to the fact that when you get into the postseason. It's it's amazing how much you revert back to the norm and you have a lower possession games, more of an emphasis placed on the defensive end, the ability to control the glass, the importance of taking care of the ball. And so maybe we don't get to the the real high possession games and the high scoring affairs that we had. Maybe we just stay on the course we're on. And when we get to the postseason, that's what everybody's prepared to handle. And that's the style of play they're prepared to play. Well, and two things that did impress me watching that Kansas City game uh, they fell down 17 to nothing to start the game. And you could see many teams just going, oh, it's going to be a long day. And it, it kind of getting away from you there. They ended up losing by four and they never had the lead, but they just kept uh, go, getting after it. And especially on the defensive end, they really rattled a, a big 12 team, always getting hands on the ball. Um, I think they had 10 steals, six or seven offensive rebounds. Like they just, a lot of hustle plays from that team. And I think that's a trademark of Coach Donlin. You know, his guys are always going to play hard. They're going to they're going to scrap on the defensive end. They're going to make it difficult for you offensively. And and so this might play into the development of, of you know he had kind of a roster turnover as well, even though McKissick and a few others returned. Uh, and so I think that's going to uh, I, I think he's going to be comfortable with that. Is from a development standpoint, saying listen, as long as you guys are playing hard. That's all that matters. We can we can improve from there as long as you bring the effort every day. And I don't think there's any question that Coach Donlin's squad will do that. So the next game I wanted to talk about was North Dakota State, and and this game was yesterday. They played went to Kansas and lost 65-61. My question is, was this the best showing by a Summit League team not named South Dakota State this season? I think it has to be. I think it has to be. I mean, I would even question the showing versus some of the uh, South Dakota State's games just because this is a top 10 team um, at, at a place that they just don't lose. And they had them. They, they, they absolutely had them. And uh, I think Kansas was getting frustrated. Kansas loves to get out and run and score a bunch of points, things like that. They were really getting frustrated with North Dakota State's deliberate pace of play and just their unique style of playing. Uh, I think if if we said North Dakota State's playing without a point guard, I think Coach Richmond would get after us a little bit because I mean they have a point guard. It's just it's just a, not really a traditional, and he doesn't operate in a traditional way. Uh, he gets the op- he gets the offense started, he gets the ball to the right place, things like that. But they're just they're they're so patient, and you know Rocky Cruiser had a really nice game, really had a shot at the end to to potentially win it. Um, really gave Kansas a, a hard time with his ability to put the ball on the floor, stretch the, the floor a little bit too. So um, it, it was really just a, I mean, they controlled the tempo. They controlled the game. They just didn't quite win it at the end. And how many teams can say that you're controlling the, uh, the, the, the tempo, 
you're, you're dictating the terms of how the game is being played against Kansas. I mean, not many. I, you know, Kentucky couldn't say that, and they just played them. So, I mean, it's so impressive. Um, and it's, you know, like, like I said before, a lot of these teams play together, play the same way, but um, this NDSU squad is, they're really, they're quickly finding their identity. And that was a question that we had a lot about, a lot about these teams is, you know, what are they going to be? How are they going to win? What's their style? They're, they're finding it. Um, I don't think they necessarily want to play, but I think they're this way, but I think they're figuring out that this is definitely the best way for them. And they're going to win a lot of games like this. I think the, the one question that I have for them now is, okay, they can control the tempo. They can slow things down. They can be very deliberate on offense. They can still put a lot of pressure on the defense. But when that shot clock does get down, who's going to take that shot? Last year it was going to be Vinny Shahid, maybe Tyson Ward. But this year they don't really have that guy that looks to take that shot in that scenario. So that's probably the last piece for them um, to, to figure out. Um, but they, they, they've came a long way, though. They have came a long way. I think they understand their roles much better. And so it was, it was a really fun game to watch against Kansas. Like I said, they had them. So um, can't say that a whole lot about Kansas. I agree. I think North Dakota State has progressed a great deal over their first four games. When you look at their opponents, you know, Nevada, Nebraska, Creighton, and Kansas, that's a gauntlet now. Um, and I think they really struggled from an offensive efficiency standpoint uh, throughout the course of the Nevada game uh, and the Nebraska game and in the first half of the Creighton game. But uh, Dave Richmond stayed true to what he wanted to accomplish. Uh, trying to define some roles. I thought it was impressive to watch the Nelson kid out of Devil's Lake who is showing some offensive prowess. Now, he's 6'10", and he's lean. Don't get me wrong. But the kid's skilled. And, uh, but, but I think uh, the, the, the credit goes to Dave Richmond and his staff for saying, hey, listen, hang in there, guys. This, this is, you, know, we've, you know, it wasn't the schedule they had on paper. It's the schedule that, that found them because of the circumstances. You know, when you look at uh, Nevada and Nebraska and Creighton, and Kansas was on the schedule. So, uh, but it was an impressive performance, to be quite honest with you. And I, it was interesting to listen to Bill Self in the, in the post-game press conference when he talked about, you know, there were, there were, you know, 12 to 15 possessions where the last shot for NDSU came in the last, you know, seven seconds and, and about six to eight possessions where it came in the last two or three seconds. That's how North Dakota State plays. They extend the... The shot clock, they make you defend side to side. Uh, as Zach alluded to, that is not how Kansas wants to play. They want to get out and go and, and play a high-possession game. And I think it frustrated them on the defensive end. And give credit to some guys. I agree with your observation about Cruiser. I thought he played extremely well. I love the last call that Dave Richmond put in there for Rocky Cruiser. He ISO'd him, and, and he had a great look. Within about three feet of the basket, it just didn't go down. So I think it was an impressive performance. Uh, the other thing to keep in mind is, is North Dakota State's still going to defend you pretty doggone well. That's the one thing they'll do, and their versatility allows a ton of switching to take place. Uh, at one through four, uh, most of the time, one through five at times. And I think that's something that gives them a chance on the road is their ability to defend, their toughness on the glass, and then valuing the ball and taking care of it. I thought their turnovers were a little high in their first few games. They've started to get those under control, and uh, so yeah, it was an it was certainly an enjoyable game to watch, and and uh, one that I think Dave Richmond took a lot out of, and and was pretty proud of his guys afterwards. I like your sentiments on uh, the the Nelson kid, man. He's not only is he pretty good on offense, but I really like what he brings on defense. 
he's one of those guys that just has a really good feel for the game on the defensive end, and he, his timing is really, really good. You know, blo- he blocked a bunch of shots. I mean, was able to get his hands on on steals, things like that. And I think that they're, I think the investment that they're making in him early this year, maybe even earlier than they than it should have been made, but they're making it. It's really going to pay dividends in March, I believe. I, I really think, you know, Coach Richmond throwing him in the fire and having him compete against these teams, I think is going to give him get him much more comfortable, much more faster than he would have otherwise. And he is a nice player. I really, I mean, I just can't imagine, you know, I, when, when I see guys like that battle against Kansas, you start to think, man, he has four more years left. What is he going to look like as a, maybe even a fifth-year player, I guess, being this year doesn't, doesn't count, or a fourth-year player? He could be like the type of player that isn't often in the Summit League. That basically, he basically could be a 6'10 wing player. Um, really like him a lot. He, his development and emergence has been a big deal for North Dakota State. Well, it's fun to watch those freshmen just grow so quickly. You know, from using being used sparingly in the first game to having a major role in the, in the game against uh, Kansas. That was pretty fun to watch. It is so hard with freshmen. You know, you can see what they do in practice, but you never really know. I mean, you throw them out there at Kansas, Fog Allen Fieldhouse, sometimes their eyes are as big as, as dish plates. You know, they're looking at the banners, things like that. It, it didn't seem to bother him a whole lot. It was a basketball game, and he was battling and competing, and sometimes he got beat, and sometimes he beat his guy, and, you know, it was coming over on help side defense, blocking shots, things like that. It's like, man, that's not like a typical 6'10" freshman would play in the summit league that's like a typical 610 freshman in like the acc or something like that so anyway i i think they got a nice little uh player there a nice little diamond in the rough uh you know was able to keep him in state keep him away from all the other big schools um he's gonna be a fun player to watch yeah i'll agree with both you guys and and, and i think that the thing that you know, I, he even had a really key block late in that game that kept NDSU right in it down the stretch. Um, but I look at both Nelson and Scunberg. It's interesting. They've got five years of eligibility because this year doesn't count, and they're going to be counted on a lot. I'm curious to see what their career stats are going to look like with five full college seasons. If you know, if they both play, you know, the the full five years at NDSU, those could be some interesting numbers. Uh, you talked about. Nelson's feel for the game. I agree with you. I think Scunberg's got it too. And as he gains some comp- some confidence and some comfort, uh, I think we're going to see him also be a contributor. And it's just another thing about this year in general is I think some kids are playing without pressure on them right now. It's, you know what, this, this year technically doesn't count in my eligibility. I don't have to worry so much about, you know, game to game. Did I do things right for every single possession? It's just, uh, get out there and compete. Show us what you're capable of, and we're going to have the five guys that give us the best chance to win at the, win at, uh, on the court at the end of the floor, uh, at the end of the game, excuse me. And so I, I just think it's, uh, no, it was fun to watch, and it's going to be intriguing to follow their development over the course of this season. Well, And one other thing I wanted to bring up, and then we'll move on to another game. You'll have to wonder what would have happened if Cruiser didn't get in foul trouble with about five minutes left. Because he he was only able to play about a minute or so of those last five minutes, um, and he was I was I it, it was impressive to watch a six ten guy who could stay in front of Kansas athletes uh, on the perimeter and to, and handle the ball out on the perimeter. It would have been interesting to see had he not gotten in foul trouble. 
Yeah, I think he, along with some of the other posts in the Summit League, like maybe Phil Bracha, things like that, they're going to have to start realizing that they, you have to stay on the floor. I, I mean, there's just no other way around it. I'm not saying necessarily make business decisions on the defensive end, but you just have to find a way to play with fouls. You have to find a way to stay on the floor. These teams without those two players are completely different. Um, I, Rocky Cruiser is just, he, it's, it's been so fun to watch him. It's so fun to watch. Every year he adds something to his game, just gets more and more well-rounded, and he has to be out there bottom line if NDSU is going to play games in the 60s because so much of their production comes through him, whether it's scoring or passing, he must stay on the floor. Yeah, and I think Rocky will continue to develop. I, I've seen a lot of growth out of him over the last two and a half seasons. And he's also become an imposing presence on the defensive end, a genuine rim protector, a guy that can rebound the ball pretty well. Uh, and then I, I, as you guys are talking about him, I'm sitting here thinking, keep in mind, he's a first-year senior. He's still got another season left yeah. Yeah. if he wants to play. And so, um, no, I, I do like his versatility and, and uh, his impact – for NDSU uh, certainly can't be understated because the kid's really important to their success. So on to the next game, Oral Roberts lost 85-80 to Wichita State. In a game, actually, they led most of the second half. Um, Some of their long uh, three-point one-on-one plays that were falling earlier in the game stopped falling at the end, and and Wichita State pulled ahead. Um, My question is, is there a better twosome, especially offensively, than Acemas and O'Banner in the Summit League? And if so, who? Well, I think, you know, I, I think the, the first comparison would be, you know, so if this is NBA Jam, right? This is NBA Jam. We have Max Acemas and Kevin O'Banner. It's probably Noah Friedel and Douglas Wilson. That, that's yeah. probably who you're playing against. Um, boy, that'd be, that'd be a fun matchup to watch. Um, are they better... You know, in in a two on two situation, I don't know. I, I boy, it, it would it would stir the pot a little bit. But I may go with Oral Roberts guys. Um, you know, I don't know. That's a very good question. I'd love to see. It's one of those hypotheticals that we could make an argument for either side. But um, you know, I don't know. I, I yeah, I'd I'd say the, the North Friedel Douglas Wilson matchup. Well, it's a good question, uh, and and that those are the two that I would bring up. It would be Wilson and Friedel, especially with their. Uh, production early in this season everybody's looking at it uh, but I think the cool thing is we're talking about that there's a, that there's competition you know we, we all are impressed with Bill Banner and Acemas but the fact that you can throw Wilson and uh, Friedel duo out there um, you know and, and I'll, I'll just throw a few more out I'll throw out you know USD is struggling but you what you look at what Umude and, and Plitzelwhite are doing right now that's a pretty doggone impressive twosome um, and, and and you you know you look at uh, uh, Nero and and Rabracha right now. So there there's it's interesting to to kind of pull those numbers out individually from each team and and just kind of evaluate them and think about them and and uh, kind of compare them to each other. Uh, there's a there's a number of dynamic du- duos in the league. I think everybody knows right now that South Dakota State. The nice thing for them is that in addition to a Wilson and Friedel, they've got a number of other guys that can really step up and contribute at a high level. So uh, it's, a, it's a great, uh, great conversation starter, Todd, without question. But O'Banner and Acemas, extremely impressive. And I think if there's one thing I look at with 
with Oral Roberts, we've always sat and wondered, all right, what are what is their offensive focus? I think this could be helpful to Paul Mills and his staff to say, all right, O'Banner and Aismas, how do we build around them? How do we generate an offensive game plan that focuses on those two but allows the other guys on the floor to step up and contribute in, in ways that they can? I, you'd kind of like to see those two guys lead that team uh, offensively and then build an offensive game plan around what they bring to the floor. Yeah, Greg, it's a, it's a very good point. You know, I was, I was just thinking about that, about, you know, we're talking about all these teams trying to find their offensive identity. You look at Oral Roberts this last game, uh, a game that they they had Wichita State, too. Um, they, they had them down late in that second half. But Max Aismas, Kevin O'Banner, both over 20 shots or right at 20 shots, uh, both in upper upper 20s points. And I think if you start there, they're going to win a lot of games. They're, if they're sticking to their best two players and giving them the shots and keep going through them and playing off them, I think they're going to win a lot of games. I think that's exactly the formula. The one thing I, I haven't gotten an answer for yet because um, I haven't had a chance to watch him a lot. And I, and maybe, but but DeShane Weaver, I don't know. He's not involved. He played like 10 minutes last game. Uh, maybe it's his knees not coming back or what, but I mean, he was a guy that was a big part of what they did. And I was just, I was so looking forward to him coming back healthy playing with those two because he's a perfect complement to those two. And, and maybe it's coming, but um, I, I think you guys are right. I think they've found their identity. I think they've found what they are. And um, it's those two guys playing in the pick and roll, uh, Kevin O'Banner picking and popping, working on the block, things like that. They're, uh, they're going to be a really dangerous team because they are very different than the teams in the Summit League now. You know, the, the, the rest of the league is kind of homogenous. Oral Roberts is very different. Well, and I watched the Wichita State game, and to your point about Weaver, he, you know, who am I? I'm not a doctor, but he did not look the same. I remember from his freshman year and thinking this is this guy is going to be a star in the Summit League, and it just doesn't look quite the same. I don't know if that's because the ball is in the hands of O'Banner and Aismas so often or what exactly the reason for that is, but it just doesn't look the same. Yeah, well, I think this was like his second or third knee too, so – um, could have a cumulative effect there, but man, yeah, you're right. When he was a freshman, he was not shy and he was aggressive and he was a six, eight wing. And I was like, man, this is a guy that doesn't usually make it into this conference. And so, um, you know, it's it, but, but, you know, we'll, we'll see. I mean, sometimes these guys take a little bit longer to, to come back from these injuries than others. And that's fine. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, this year is a, like, like we said, kind of a gimme year, kind of a mulligan year. So that's okay. I'm just glad to see him back out there playing. Cause he's a, he's a good player and I know he loves to play. Well, and Greg, last last week you brought up the philosophy that it is sort of that it is get it to your best player and let them go to work. That seems to be what Coach Mills is looking for, uh, and that is what they do. It's get the ball to a banner, clear space, let him go to work. Same same thing with Aismas. Um, it it and they it leads to some great results, and then at the end of the game, it leads to some maddening results at the same time. At least that particular game. Well, and I think, you know, from Oral Roberts' standpoint, they've never had a problem scoring. I think right. the, the key is, can you find a way to get stops? And so if, if you really allow Aismas and, and O'Banner to be your go-to guys on the offensive end, build an offensive philosophy around that, that's great. I think that makes sense. It's defensively. Can you lock down and, and, and get critical stops and, and uh, critical defensive rebounds to complete defensive possessions with the game on the line? That's what's going to determine whether or not they're a, a Summit League 
championship contender or they're going to continue in, in the same position they've been in uh, for the last four or five years, which is always be dangerous, but not be able to win the, the, the big games at tournament time. So I think maybe that's where a lot of their focus has to go. So I agree with you. Uh, it's, it's, uh, they've got some go-to guys. Now the key is, can you get some stops with the game on the line? Well, speaking of championship contenders, South Dakota State, another quality win. Uh, beat Iowa State, 71-68, and it really wasn't even that close. They were leading by as much as 17 with under eight minutes to go. Um, how do you game plan a team that has so many quality offensive weapons? Um, I, I think of Shireman being added into that. And then when you really think about it, Dentlinger has been pretty quiet this year, but he's still the same guy. It, it just hasn't. They haven't had to go through him as often as before. Well, Dentlinger, you're right, uh, has, has been very quiet, but everybody knows what he's capable of doing. So I don't see a, I don't see a step back for him. I just see, and, and if anybody, you know, when you look, watch this team play, his teammates want him to be successful because, because they're going to continue to get him touches. But to go to back to something you talked about, you know, in their impressive win at Iowa State and Hilton Coliseum, um, quality win and, and, and big time production from, from Friedel, who's playing at a high level without question. Uh, Douglas Wilson, who's who's Douglas Wilson. He just goes out, plays hard, gets it done. And then I think the, the emergence of Shireman this year has taken them to a whole new level. Um, because when you look at, you know, uh, the point guard play, uh, the kid continues to do it just night in, night out. But Shireman is the one that's taking them to a different level right now with his versatility, his length, his confidence. Um, so I, I think that, again, I said this earlier, I, I think they're the most complete team right now, without question, in the Summit League. And I think they're one of the most complete teams I've seen over the course of my, I don't know whether it's seven, eight, nine years of doing games in the Summit League. They're enjoyable to watch. And as impressive as the win at, at Iowa State was, I don't know that the win at Bradley wasn't just as impressive. Bradley's the two-time, you know, uh, conference tournament champion out of the Mo Valley. And, and, and to win those two games uh, in the manner in which they did, uh, it's, it's, it's been enjoyable to watch. And it's one of those things that I'm sure Eric Henderson appreciates. And at the same time, he's going back every night going, these are great wins, but we still got to find ways to keep getting better. And I don't think there's any question he'll he'll continue to search for that along with his staff. Yeah, I think the the strengths of South Dakota State are very well established. Um, you know, we spent a lot of time talking about their strengths. Todd, you kind of mentioned, okay, so um, I'm their opponent trying to play them. What do I hope happens, or how how do I attack them? And I think you know the one thing that could potentially be an issue is four guys playing 35 plus minutes. Um, now, obviously from South Dakota state's perspective is why would we not want them to play 35 minutes? They're our best players. We win games when they do. Right. <laughs> so that, that's hard to argue against, but you know, if you're talking about potentially having disruptions in, in, uh, in, in your personnel throughout the course of this year, uh, you're playing back to back games. Um, that it, it could potentially pose an issue. Um, if they were, if things were ever to get off track, uh, what happens if one of these guys gets in foul trouble? How ready are the guys to go off the bench? Uh, we we did see them play uh, against Iowa State, Matt Mims and Charlie Easley. Um, they they played they played pretty well. I, I think 
you can trust that you can put them out there and not they're not going to screw up the game. But uh, if they have to play a whole half, um, are they going to make the, the same winning plays that their starters would make? I don't know. Um, so I think the biggest thing is just find some way to get them off schedule, whether that's foul trouble or fatigue by making them work harder on the def- defensive end like an NDSU would. Um, you know, some way to get them off schedule. Because if they're on schedule and their starters are playing and they're playing their game, you know, good luck. There, there's that's where you're trying to fight fire with fire, and um, their flames bigger. So I don't know. Yeah, really, really good point, Zach. That that is about the only thing is it, it, is the amount of minutes the starters play. But we we would have said last year what happens when Shireman gets in and look what he can do while he's out mm-hmm. there. So the other thing I suppose. That's important to remember with teams like this is they just built the, the, the other guys probably are ready to, but yeah, we just don't have to see it or at least haven't had to. Mm-hmm. Um, so South Dakota went, uh, went to Nebraska and lost 76 69. Um, and that was really after two, what I would consider pretty disappointing games for, for South Dakota. So, so my question for them is, are they closer to this version or the version from the first two games? It's a good question. Um, you know, I think they, like a lot of these teams, are going to be a bit of a work in progress. Um, simply because, you know, this group has only been together for a couple games now. Not like, I mean, the group last year had been together for a couple of years, actually. And they've been through the battles and, and all the ups and downs. This new group, you know, they're still trying to find their, their roles. My guess is they're probably going to be a little more volatile than they were last year. Um, but there's no question that, you know, you have Stanley Amude and that's a great place to start. And I think they're figuring it out much like Royal Roberts said, Hey, play through him, play off of him. And you're going to be okay. You're going to be there at the end of the game. He's going to get you there. He's going to probably need a little bit of help, but you have to go through him every single time. So, um, I think they're figuring that out. So I, I would, I would tend to think that, you know, th- it's going to be closer to this last game would, would be my guess. Yeah, they're intriguing. I I think the you know the 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 one true known going into this season was Amude, uh, and then the other thing was you know Plitz White was sitting out. Well, he's obviously shown that he's going to be a pretty doggone solid performer for him. So I think what they have right now is they're gaining an identity offensively, which is Amude on the inside, Plitz White on the perimeter. Everybody else has to step in and fill some roles offensively. Right now, Amude is just uh, horrendous field goal percentage-wise. Now, he's, I mean, he's leading scorer, but he's just not making shots. Uh, and I don't know if that's due to the fact that he's taken from, you know, taking too many from areas that he's just not a consistent contributor from. Uh, Amude would be the guy that I'd want to operate on the inside with. And, and, and whether it's as a face-up guy, you know, getting the ball at the mid post and facing up and, you know, one dribble and, and using his quickness and athleticism to score around defenders. Um, or, if, or if you can get him in, the, in a back-to-the-basket situation against a smaller defender, that's, that's valuable too. But I think what they're doing is they're establishing at least an offensive identity that Plitzowite and Amude are a great one-two punch. Uh, what they've got to do is just find some consistency, and I think that's, uh, that's going to be the challenge for them. Uh, not sure that we've seen a lot of consistency from any, anybody outside of those two as far as offense production goes. Uh, the Hyman kid, the transfer from Nebraska, his minutes have been, frankly, 
um, inconsistent at best, if that makes sense. And uh, I think they'd love to get more production from him, but I just I just don't know, you know, that they're going to be able to. And uh, you know, when you look at, you know, on the season right now, Mude literally 30, 30, under thirty two percent total field goal percentage. Now he gets to the line and he converts. Uh, he's been to the line twenty four times over the course of three games, and so that's great. That's what you want to see. So I, I think you find a way to continue continue to develop your offensive game plan with those two guys as the focal point. But they've got to find some consistent roles and some con- con- some consistent contributions for the rest of the of that of that uh, bench that they've got. And I think that's going to be the ultimate goal for USD in the non-conference season: is to say, we know who one and two are, who are going to be three through eight, three through nine. They've got to figure that out. And the great thing is, they've got some opportunities if they don't get shut down to do that before January, you know, before the, the, the new year and the conference season rolls around. Yeah. To, to kind of back up your point here, Greg, you know, that, so against Nebraska, they had eight players play more than 10 minutes, uh, which is pretty unique. And they also had a, a total of 11 play in the game. So they're kind of the opposite of South Dakota state right now, right? They're playing a lot of people and they're seeing who takes hold of their role and runs with it. I, I think there's a lot of question marks out there. They have a lot of good players. They just don't quite know how it's all going to come together quite yet, it, it, it appears. Um, so, you know, on, on the positive, it, it's good that you have that many players with um, a, a lot of playing time recently because you never know what the, what the roster could potentially look like going through this season. So that's good. There's a lot of people ready to go. On the downside, obviously, you'd like to have – their their top six or seven a little bit more formalized at this point, but you know that's part of the non conference schedule. Yeah, it, as both of you were talking, the thing I kept thinking about is it's hard to when you think of other Summit League teams, you can at least name a third, fourth scoring option, and there really has not been a consistent third or fourth scoring option. One thing I did want to note, even though the low shooting percentage, uh, Umude did not turn the ball over. Uh, in the game, in that game, and that was pretty impressive considering the amount of times he he touches the ball. And Plitza White, definitely, you can see the confident shooter. Um, he he solidified himself as the number two guy there, absolutely in that game. Mm-hmm. So one more game I wanted to talk about, and then we'll just do a little bit of a preview into next week. Uh, North Dakota, uh, a couple days after losing to a team in their first Division One game ever in Dixie State. Uh, went to Minnesota and lost by nine, 76, 67. Uh, but we're really in the game pretty much the entire game. And I, I did not write it down a question for them. So I'll just start out with a talking point and let you guys go from there. Uh, Philip Rabracha was fantastic in that game. Um, and one of the things that was impressive to me is you see him against big 10 big men and he is so strong down in the, in the block. And and he definitely belongs with those big, big, uh, bigs from the Big Ten. You know, I, I thought, um, you know, so, so to me, the key to this game was Minnesota chose to guard him pretty well straight up. And I think it showed that when Phil gets the ball in the block and he's not being doubled and he can be a little patient and kind of work, you know, a couple dribbles this way, that way, move his defender around a little bit, he's pretty good. He's pretty good. He's going to make a, a, a lot of shots. He's going to work at, at a, a very efficient pace. Um, 
And so I think this pretty well showed everyone else in the Summit League that you're not going to be able to leave your defender, I don't care who it is, to just guard him one-on-one in the post. Um, that's not all that surprising. That was actually kind of the case for, for last year. Um, up to this point this year, he had been getting doubled. Um, so I think UND has sort of their formula. Like we said, they're all everybody's trying to find their identity. I think him getting, getting the ball in the block and becoming more and more comfortable with doubles and helps on him. And I think, you know, I've seen plenty of teams have a lot of success coming down, dumping the ball in the post, and then playing off of that, allowing him to draw the double team and finding where the open guy is, things like that. Um, but that, to me, that was the biggest takeaway from that game is what happens to this UND team when they play through Phil Perbracha, they, they shoot a good percentage, he opens up some three-pointers for some, for some of these other guys. You have guys like Mitchell Sucre, Sabian Sims, knocking down some threes. You know, knocking not knocking out a ton of threes, but just enough to keep the defense honest. And starting from there, again, trying to keep the game in probably the upper 50s or 60s. Um, but they proved that they're right there because you're right. Earlier the week, they did not play very well against Dixie State. You know, that's all we need to say about that. That was not good. Huge improvement to the Minnesota game. Huge improvement both in terms of how they played in the final score and their development of their identity. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think Rebracha is, uh, he's a heck of a player. You know, we talked about Amude, who's, who's, you know, leading scorer for USD right now, but shooting at about, you know, under 32%. Rebracha, on the other hand, 57% efficiency. I think typically when you, when, you know, when a mid-major team goes into a Big Ten team, they don't want to, at times, insult themselves by saying we have to go double somebody, you know, and, and Rebracha yeah. said, fine. You know, all, you know, when he steps out on the perimeter and 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 uh, knocks down a couple threes, he's he's t- taken four on the year and made three. But at the same time, he's twenty of thirty-five. Uh, the kid knows how to score. He knows what his strengths are. He knows how to attack defense. And so I think he's one of clearly one of the best bigs in the league, without question. I think everybody else in the league would would agree with that. Nero has done a nice job. I think what they're I think they're probably pretty happy and and I'll I'll butcher this I apologize but the is it Ianacho? Yeah, Ianacho, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I think they're they're pleased with his progress. And uh, it's great to see and we have to keep in mind that uh Deshaun Allen Ankins has only played one game, didn't play the Dixie State, didn't play the Minnesota game. Uh he's a big part of what they do and is going to be a big part of their production. So I think as a staff and as a team they had to be pleased with the effort the energy and the progress that they made when they played against the Gophers. It was, uh, you know, they, they, they gave themselves a chance and they earned themselves a lot of respect. And I think they're going to be able to build on that performance. You know, one thing about Phil Pabracha and, and also Mitchell Sucre is, I mean, you can tell that they're obviously very well coached um, because, you know, the, the one reason you can tell that, the one thing I always try to watch for is like, what, what does the post player do when there's penetration? Do they just stand there? Do they just kind of clog up the lane, or do they move with the penetration to give them to move into the open areas that are being vacated? He does a really good job of that. You'll notice he gets a lot of these little dump off passes, a lot of these little shovel passes, and he's hitting these little floaters, these little jump hooks, things like that. It's because he's always putting himself in the right in the right spot based off of where the penetration is coming from. Really smart player. Also, he's now knocking down threes. He's always been able to, but now he's starting to get. That green light, he's starting to get a little bit more confidence. He's seen a couple go in. That's the one thing about this UND team that's much different than last year. They were not a very good shooting team. Pretty much one through five, they can all shoot it this year. And that's a big deal. They may not be knocking down five or six per person per game, 
But if you can knock down one or two, that goes a long way towards keeping the defense um, honest and, uh, and and allowing to Tyree. And, and Tyree took a, a big jump, too, because the game against Dixie State, you know, Tyree, he was a little tentative. He was a little tentative coming off those ball screens, just a little soft. Um, now he's much more decisive. Now he's attacking. I don't know if that was him just being back in Minnesota, being in front of his home crowd and all that good stuff. Um, but he's a good player. He's, he's again – you don't see a ton of guys with that type of size and athleticism in this conference. Um, and he could be a really nice player. Again, he has four years left. Phil Perbaccia has two years left. Caleb Nero has, I think, three, if not two. Um, same with Sabian Sims. Like, this whole UND team is going to be back next year um, and, and even probably a year after that. So, you know, you can see what they're trying to do here, but I was very impressed with how they bounced back against what could have been a low point against Dixie State. I agree with you. I'm just going to tag on to that. I'm sorry, Todd. Uh, Go ahead. I think that's one of the things that, that Paul Sather is so good at. And and from a motion coach, even though they'll run some sets, but in the development of bigs, the ability to space the floor, the ability to move, uh, you know, whether it's eye cuts or loop cuts, whatever it might be on dribble penetration, position themselves as a scoring threat because the help defender can't recover to them that quickly. Guys like, like Phillip, and Mitchell Sucker, who is a Division II transfer, uh, originally out of Marshall, Minnesota, the kid is smart, but he's long, he's athletic, he's not shooting it great right now, but that kid, I think, is going to make an impact for this team. And so uh, I do think that that Minnesota game was was a big step forward for UND, and it's going to be interesting and, and, and enjoyable to watch their progress throughout the course of this season. Well, and Greg, I was just going to basically say the same thing you just said, and and uh, especially with Suker, I, th- I think he's shooting under 30% from three right now, but you watch it come off his hand and, and the, the way he shoots it, that's not going to stay that way. And Zach, your, your point of, it's just going to be a better shooting team. It doesn't look as good coming off of Caleb Nero's hands, but he's shooting, I don't even know, probably 50% from three right now. Um, and so they just have more people that are going to be able to space it and they can play off of uh, Phillip a lot better than they were in previous years. Yeah, I think I think one of the first things was, you know, does it make sense to start Mitchell and Phillip together? And initially, it didn't look like they were making themselves better by being on the floor at the same time. But now it almost kind of does, simply because both can shoot it. I mean, the mm-hmm. fact that both can pick and pop is a big deal. And I think both are, are going to help protect the paint on defense much better and obviously rebounding. So um, I think it's working out really well. Again, like we talked about in the in the previous podcast, they're going to be much more flexible this year. And, and Sabian Sims has really come along nice. He's a nice player. I like him a lot. He may not stuff the stats sheets like like some of these other players, but I mean, talk about a well-rounded guy that can guard a, a, a two through a five. Very valuable. There's not a, again not a ton of those guys around, so they have some nice pieces here. They're making progress, and uh, it's a big weekend coming up for them. Well, and speaking of the big weekend, we'll wrap up the show this week. We the Dakota showcase is, is December 10th through the 12th. So at least right now, barring any surprises, uh, the four Dakota schools will be rotating and get three games in each, and we'll kind of get a better idea of where uh, at least the Dakota schools in the Summit League stand, especially the three that are not South Dakota State. I think I think we we all think that South Dakota State is is in their own tier, and maybe North Dakota State right behind them. Uh, what are you guys excited about for that? that tournament coming up this weekend? 
Well, I think just the biggest thing is just comparing apples to apples, right? You know, I mean, play, they've been playing this non-conference schedule, and it's it's nice to talk about how they're making progress and this and that, but now they actually get to compete against uh, light competition, and I think everybody's eyes now to- turn towards winning, right? I mean, we've, we've been talking about progress, but these teams also need to get some wins under their belt, and they need to understand what it feels like to win against a very good opponent. All these are going to be very evenly matched. And so I think just coming down the wire and making winning plays, that's really the next step for all these teams, in my opinion, or at least for, for UND and South Dakota and NDSU. Yeah, I'm in full agreement with both of you guys. I think it's great. Um, I'm, I'm sitting here hoping that that South Dakota test, whatever it was, doesn't come back as a COVID test. I'm hoping USD can be in that. You look at South Dakota versus North Dakota, South Dakota State versus North Dakota State. You know, SDSU and North Dakota State, that's kind of a 1-2 preseason pick or a 1-3, whatever you want to look at it. That's a big game. Everybody thinks South Dakota State right now, and, and, and all of us included, is clearly the team that has separated themselves early on. Uh, it'll be a great test for both of them. Uh, and, you know, the second night, you got North Dakota and South Dakota State, and then North Dakota State versus USD. And then December 12th, if everything falls into place, you get your, your in-state rivalries. Uh, the North Dakota State versus North Dakota, South Dakota State versus South Dakota, and the unique environment that it's going to take place in. It's the old, they get on the phone, they call each other up and say, let's go to an empty gym somewhere, let's go roll it out, and let's, go still, let's just go play. It's, it's a, like a pickup mentality. Let's see who's better. And so I, I, I think it's fantastic. I, I hope everything can fall into place. I, I hope everybody's healthy. And it's going to be an interesting environment. No fans allowed in the Pentagon. They've made that announcement. And it's just going to be a, a great opportunity for fans in this region to be able to flip the TV on and say, let's, let's watch these guys and see where they're at. And it's the perfect example of uh, before and after. Because this, this can be the, the uh, kind of the, the demonstration of where we're at before we get into the conference season and the Summit League tournament. Uh, down at the, at the uh, Denny Sanford Premier Center can be the after. And we'll see who's improved the most and, and, and who deserves it. But uh, I, I'm looking forward to it. I, and I, I know all the fans are too, and there's no question the teams are hoping this thing can fall into place. Well, you know, it's funny. A lot of coaches and players, that you know, they're always saying, hey, yeah, we'll play anybody, anywhere, anytime, any place. We don't care. We'll just play. Yeah, like you said, Greg, drive to an open gym. Let's just go play. And then it comes time to do it, and they're like, well, but we got, you know, some other big games on the schedule. And, you know, and this year, it's happening, and there's no excuse not to. And these teams are just putting their money where their mouth is, and they're lining up and playing, man. I mean, that's what it's about. Just throw, throw the ball up, must play. It's, it's, uh, it's going to be so fun. I just feel really fortunate that we're going to have a chance to be able to watch this and watch these great players and teams compete against each other and, and, and see where they are, see how they stack up. Well, and it's it's funny as you say that, Zach, because so often you see not necessarily in the Summit League, but across college basketball, especially with high level mid major teams and and uh, high major teams in the same area. The high major team saying it's just too tough to get this scheduled, and suddenly this year everyone's able to figure it out. So um, maybe it was more about not wanting to lose to your mid major opponent in your same state or what have you in the past. Oh yeah, um, there's a lot of that. Yeah. But it certainly shows that getting some of these matchups and making things happen will be should be something that can happen in the future, um, especially in teams with lots of uh, or in states with lots of teams with with college uh, division one teams. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, 
we will wrap up uh, this week's episode there and excited to watch another week of Summit League basketball and, and talk with you guys next week. Look forward to it, guys. Thanks, Todd.